Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that helps you lead your family in defending the Christian message. It's the Think Pod 12 Days of Christmas, 12 current cultural challenges answered with timeless biblical truth by me and some of my friends. For more content like this, be sure to follow all our guest hosts and join the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. So Merry Christmas from the Think Institute and Happy 2022. Hi, Joel Sedeckes here. In this episode, Andrew Rappaport responds to the allegation that the Bible as we know it has been corrupted over time. This is a challenge that you will get from Latter-day Saints and Muslims, as well as non-Christian friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. There are undoubtedly many Christians who even assume that this is true, that the Bible's been corrupted over time. So today, you're going to make sure that your family knows the straight truth about why we can trust that our Bibles are free from corruption. Andrew Rappaport is the preaching pastor of Grace and Truth Bible Church in Bucks County, PA, and founder and executive director of Striving for Eternity Ministries and the Christian Podcast Community. He's a friend of mine. He hosts several podcasts and is the author of multiple books. You're going to love this episode. Welcome to day five of the 12 days of Christmas, the Think Podcast. 12 days, 12 challenges that we're going to deal with. This is day number five. We are going to deal with the topic of has the Bible been corrupted? This is something that many people will argue that the Bible's been corrupted. The argument is based on the idea that what we end up seeing is the fact that the Bible, this is a time before there was like Xerox machines or computers uh, or even a printing press. And so the only way to make a copy of anything that's written down is to do it by hand. And anytime you do copying things by hand, especially very large works, you're bound to make certain mistakes in copying. Now, we're going to deal with these mistakes, and we'll call them what they are, are called textual variances. So what's that mean? It just means any change from one text that you're copying to another text, and it has a change, a spelling error, punctuation difference, word missing, word added, things like that. Now, what people will try to say is that the Bible was corrupted, and this argument comes in various forms. Some will deal with just the idea, as we're saying, to deal with these variances. And that's where we're going to focus most of our time. But before we get to there, let's take care of some of the easier arguments that we end up hearing that people have. Uh, Some will say the Catholic Church changed it. Uh, I knew one individual when I was evangelizing at Montclair State University. He tried to argue that the Catholic Church actually changed the Bible in the 1500s. Now, that was kind of strange, because what he argued was that the Catholic Church collected all the copies of the Bible that were out there, changed them, and then replaced them without anybody knowing. Now, that's think about that one through, and you'll realize it's kind of hard to do. But there's arguments that say that. Some will say the Catholic Church did this in the 300s. Some will say the the Bible uh, originally taught that Jesus was man, and then later uh, they edited it to add in his deity as if the original writing didn't have that. Well, 
we're going to go through and answer a lot of those and more in this episode. Now, I want to focus on the main area that we do have to deal with when this topic comes up is this idea of textural variances. With a handwritten copy, if you try to this, you'll find, take a, a copy of the Bible, uh, just write it, make a copy of it, any book of the Bible, and you're going to see that there's certain things you may have a tendency to do, especially if you're trying to do it quickly. Maybe you're going to see the word the on one line and the on another line, and you may skip an entire line without even noticing it because you you line up the words. Or maybe because you're in a hurry and you're making a copy, you may be writing something in, copying something in, say, Mark. But in your mind, you're, you, you think you know the text, and you start writing, but you actually what you did was you wrote something you had from memory from Matthew. Things like that will happen. Does that mean the Bible is corrupted? Does it mean that people purposely change the text of the Bible? Well, let me answer that in a way you might not be, you may be surprised, and that is, yes, there are people who did do that. There are people throughout history who did, in fact, try to corrupt the Bible. Even in our history of America, Thomas Jefferson, you can look at the Thomas Jefferson Bible, where he took out certain things he just didn't like and didn't think should be there. You can also look at the Slaver's Bible. In the Slaver's Bible, the Bible that they would read to the slaves in America or in England and other places, what they had was a Bible that had certain things taken out, like, well, they removed the part in in the Old Testament where it says you cannot kidnap a person. Hmm, interesting. They kept all the parts about obeying your master, conveniently, but they took anything out that would say that what they did in kidnapping people to enslave them, they removed that so that the slaves wouldn't know that what the masters did was wrong. So, there were people who have corrupted the Bible. Does that mean the Bible we have today in our hands is corrupt? Well, actually, no. Because of the fact that, yes, we see those Bibles that where people have tried to corrupt them. We've seen, we see plays compare them to all the other Bibles, and we can see what was removed. We can see if things are added. Because of looking at the other manuscripts, now let me define what a manuscript is. A manuscript is basically a copy of a text, in this case the Bible. Uh, Most often we're going to deal with the New Testament when we talk about this stuff, and I'll explain why the new rather than the old is more important in this discussion. But the New Testament, when we look at a copy of it, it could be any portion. There are some copies, for example, P52, uh, one of the earliest copies of the scripture that we have, it's only the size of about a credit card. But we know enough, we can read enough of it to know that it's from the book of John. So what we end up knowing, or from John's writings, so what we end up seeing there is we can take any manuscript and compare it to other manuscripts. There are some manuscripts we have a full copies of books, complete Bibles, some where we only have small portions. But when you start putting all of that together, there are certain things we can now evaluate. One, the number of manuscripts that we have will be helpful. Now, this is going to be different when we look at the number of manuscripts, because there's lots of ways we can look at that. 
there's things that will help us, such as different translations. We can look, for example, of the Old Testament Hebrew, but we also have the translation of the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. And so that tells us the understanding of the Old Testament from the rabbis before the time of Christ. Why would that be important? Well, for one example, in Isaiah where it says a virgin will give birth, well, there's many who say, well, that word virgin just means maiden, and that is true. However, in the Greek that was translated before Christ, before people started making the case that the word meant maiden, it was translated for virgin. And so you can look at things like that and get an understanding sometimes of how things were understood, how things were, when you're translating it, you do lose something in translation. Now, in Old Testament, they had a very different process than New Testament, and therefore they have far fewer variances. A variant, again, is just any change, no matter how small. And so there's far fewer variances because of the way they went about it. They were more diligent to check every letter that they were copying. And if they they had a, a text that they copied and it had more than a few errors, they wouldn't use that to make another copy. So because of the diligence of the scribes, you don't have as many variances in the Old Testament. Now, most of them occur in the New Testament. Most of the argument for the corruption of the Bible is in the New Testament the claims of it. When we look at this, there's going to be three things we want to look at. First, as I mentioned, is the number of manuscripts. How many manuscripts do we have? The more manuscripts we have, the better. Why? Very simply. If you have one manuscript, for example, the Quran, the Quran, they they wrote down what was supposedly told from Muhammad to his soldiers, they knew it or audibly, they had it memorized, they went to write it down, and they had different copies. Well, someone looked at all the copies, he burned all the others and kept one, and they said, this is the one, and they keep that. They say there's only one copy. Well, how do you know what the others said? Well, if the, all of them were burned, you can't know. With only one copy that's being that you have, if if you only have the one, it's hard to know what, where the variants are. Now, with the Quran, because that was also copied, there are actual variances in the Quran. Muslims don't like to, to talk about that. Uh, but you also have books like the Book of Mormon, which claims to be the most accurate book in all history. Now, that was made after the printing press, so there should be absolutely no changes, yet there's almost 4,000 changes in the Book of Mormon that exists today to the one that Joseph Smith wrote down. Now, once you had a printing press, you can reproduce over and over and over the exact same thing. There shouldn't be any variances there. So those are actual changes that were purposely made. And when you look at some of those, they are for doctrinal purposes. So as we look at the New Testament, though, we have about five to 9,000 Greek manuscripts Mention the Greek because that's the language. Once you open it up to translations, you're in the 70 to 90,000. So there's a lot of manuscripts that we have, and we're, we're speaking of handwritten. Now, we're going to look at the Greek New Testament and say, okay, we're going to look to see 
Can we say that this was corrupted? Well, one of the things, because we have so many manuscripts, we can compare them. What does that do for us? Well, that tells us, looking at all of the different manuscripts, where there were changes, where someone forgot a word or a line or added something, took it from something they memorized from Mark and added it to, to Luke, whatever. Those things happened just as it would for you. So we have people that would do that. When we look at all the manuscripts, we can now identify where those changes occur. Now, some people would say, well, if you, wherever you have the majority, that should be what the original said. That's not always the case. It's not always the case that if you have a majority of them, that that's more. It might be that in certain areas of the world, there were there was more copying going on, and therefore you have more copies. It also could be that certain parts of the world that the texts will weather better. For example, they might have been preserved in other areas where they're not. You look at like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Why do we have those today? Because of the way they were preserved in the caves. Now, as we look at that, that is, brings up another thing that we have to look at, not just the number of manuscripts, but where we find those manuscripts. Why does that become important? Because not only does it help with how they're preserved, as I mentioned, but even more so, where they are could tell us where changes occurred. Let me give an example. If the 10 of you were uh, in, you know, with me in a room and I gave you each a handwritten letter and asked 10 of you to go out to, to wherever you live and to make copies for people in that area. And, and say one of you goes to France and one goes to England and one goes to Canada and Mexico, all over. And you see in all of those copies, in all the places, there's one thing where it says, Jesus Christ the Lord. But in France, it just says, Jesus Christ Lord. Hmm, that's different. Now, when we can compare those in England and Scotland and the UK, uh, Mexico and Canada and the US, all those, and we see it's only France that has that change, it becomes easy to assume, okay, this is the one area where there was a change. Now we know that probably, because all the ones that are copied in France have that same mistake, that is probably something that wasn't in the original, and we look at the ones from all the rest of the world. That's one thing that the location makes a difference. So I mentioned the number of manuscripts. I mentioned the location. Let me give you a third thing when we come to this issue of corruption. How early is the writing, the manuscript we have, compared to the date that it was written. Now, this becomes important. Why? Because the more time that went on, the more opportunity for corruption, for mistakes to be made in the copying. The closer you are to the original, the fewer mistakes that could be made just by time. Now, is that always the case? No, because you may have a copy that hasn't been, that, that was written far later in time, but maybe it was written from an, an early copy. And even though its writing was later, or it was found later, doesn't mean that it had more errors. Maybe it's more accurate. However, we just know that 
with copy to copy to copy to copy, each time it's copied, each time it changes hands, there's more of an opportunity of this mistakes or corruption to occur. Now, and when I say corruption, it doesn't mean the way some will say, well, then we can't know what the Bible is. Because as we do these things, we can see from these three things, I already mentioned we have thousands of manuscripts. We have early manuscripts. In fact, we have some manuscripts of the Bible that are within 20 to 30 years of their writing. And so that becomes important. When we look at these things together, we're going to look and say, was the Bible corrupt? Well, I've already kind of said yes. All right, it's corrupt because people did, as they copied, made mistakes in the copies. But what people mean by that is that the... Sorry about the dog. What what they mean by that is the fact that what we what we end up with is simply this. We have all these copies. We have early copies. We're going to look at now two issues. We want to look at does the meaning of the text change? One. Two, can we get back to the original meaning? Now, when we look at all those variances that we mentioned, and there, there's thousands of them. However, when we say thousands, that sounds like a lot, but there's like 140,000 Greek words in the Bible. So the fact that there's about 8,000 variances, words that have changes in them, out of 140,000, that, that's not too much. Here's the thing, though. We look at them, 75% of those are spelling mistakes. Spelling and punctuation. Why, why should punctuation not concern us? Because there were no punctuation in the first writings. In the early writings of the Bible, they didn't have punctuation. That was added later. So anything that's punctuation, that's not going to affect the meaning. That's We don't care if it, to get back to the original with that. Spelling, we can get back to the original of spelling. We can correct the spelling. So 75% of those variances aren't an issue. Easily get back to. Now, when we look at this, why these two, if we can get back to the original, what was like a spelling mistake and correct it, it doesn't affect anything. If the meaning doesn't change, it doesn't affect anything. In fact, there's not one Christian doctrine that's affected by any of these variances. When we look at the ones, the only category that should concern us would be those that are both the meaning of the text changes and we can't get back to the original. Let me give you one example. There are some manuscripts that say that Jesus Christ is the son of a carpenter and others that say that Jesus Christ is a carpenter. Now, do you know any doctrine based off of Jesus being a carpenter? I don't. And so the reality is, is that as we look at that, not a big deal. So, if we have that, we say, okay, we can't get back to the original, but the meaning does change. Whether he's, he could actually be both for all we know. He could have been the son of a carpenter and a carpenter. But when we look at this, the more conservative number that's used is 1% of all the variances fit into the category of me meaningful changes and we can't get back to the original. Now, when you have that, 
we're talking 86 words out of 140,000? Not a big deal. Not one of them affects any doctrine. In fact, the biggest argument made by Bart Arman, who's trying to say we, that the Bible's been corrupted, in his book, Misquoting Jesus, he uses the example that Jesus says, some texts say he's a carpenter and some say he's the son of a carpenter. Big deal. Doesn't affect any doctrine. In fact, in his paperback edition, first edition, he wrote an epilogue to that book, and in there he admitted that there's not a single Christian doctrine that's affected by any of these variances. Now, I gave you the conservative number. I remember taking a class with Dan, Daniel Wallace on the issue of textual criticism. He said the more realistic number, because we have found so many more manuscripts, that that, that number has gone down to one-fifth of one percent. That would say that the Bible that we hold in our hands, in the meaning, which is what the importance is, is 99.98% accurate. I would put that number up against CNN any day of the week. What we end up seeing is, did the Bible have changes? Yes. Was it corrupted? No. Because we have so many manuscripts and because of where they're located, that helps us in, in correcting these variances. And because we have so, so many early manuscripts, we can compare all these and realize that the meaning of the, the Bible and much of what we have, over 99% of what we have, the meaning isn't changed. We can get back to the original. And we have very much the Bible that was originally written. Maybe not identical, but it shouldn't affect anything as far as Christian doctrine. So has the Bible been corrupted? Well, you could say yes if you're talking about the fact that it did, we do have for a fact know that there were changes that were made that were accidental. We know that some were purposeful. Does the meaning of the Bible, was that corrupted? Absolutely not because we have all of the manuscripts to examine. And we can say with great assurance that the Bible is the most trusted document in all of antiquity. There's nothing that even comes close in all of ancient writings, because the Bible was so important that people copied and copied, and copied so many times to make sure the message of God gets all over the world. The message of the gospel was so important that they wanted to make copies. So yes, they made copies quickly of the New Testament, because the message was so important. And so the message of the Bible has not been lost at all. It has not been corrupted. That God himself became a man and died on a cross for the forgiveness of sin that he paid the price that you and I owe so that we could be forgiven and have the mercy of God. I hope in this time of where we have just celebrated Christmas, uh, the time where we, we think of Christ becoming God becoming a man, I hope that you'd consider, if you have not converted to Christianity, maybe you're listening to this because you 
thought of these challenges and said, Christians don't have an answer to the, to the issue of, was the Bible corrupted? Well, the Bible has an answer. We have answers. And maybe put all your objections aside and realize the message of the Bible is true. You are accountable to God. Every one of us. You need to repent. Stop trusting yourself as a good person or trusting your good works and trust in Almighty God for the forgiveness of sin. And I hope you continue listening or watching for the rest of the 12 days with the Think Podcast. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedecase. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. Music